At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This episode is brought to you by SRB Field Rests. Your shotgun, bow, or rifle is an extension of who you are as a hunter. Whether you're hunting snows in a muddy mess of a field, mallards in the marsh, or whitetail from a ground blind, SRB Field Rests has your back. A local Kansas company that provides an easy to use, simple, and ergonomically effective solution to just awkwardly holding onto your gun or your bow when you do not need to. Allowing you to have more freedom, comfort, and safety in the field. Enter discount code FOULFRONT at checkout for 10% off your order of any SRB Field Rest today. This episode is also brought to you by Oak Barn Beef, a direct-to-consumer, family-owned farm that delivers high-quality, DNA-tested, dry-aged Nebraska beef from their family to yours. You can select from a wide variety of boxes. My personal favorite is the Husker Beef Package, which combines jerky, ground beef, steaks, and a brisket. These packages are perfect for families, get-togethers, out-of-town hunts, or for you outfitters looking to upgrade your table fare for your clients. Order yours today at oakbarnbeef.com. And what's really important is that we band together, we speak with one voice. You know, I'm like, you sure? Because I've got two kids, I don't want it to ruin your hunt. You're like, yeah, yeah, just coming home with me. Just take your time. Like I said, it would have killed a normal man, but I'm not normal, but, you know. When you said, why do you want to talk about that? To me, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, there's so many different factors that go into this decision. Enjoy it for what it is. Every moment of it. If, if you're only going to shoot one duck. Welcome to the Foul Front Podcast. 
part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Hey, Falfront, it's Hannah from Oak Barn Beef. We're giving away a box of steaks, jerky, and more premium beef exclusively for the listeners of the Falfront. To sign up, head over to falfront.com and click on the Oak Barn Beef Giveaway tab to enter into this giveaway. Thanks, and we can't wait for you to try our Nebraska-raised and dry-aged premium beef. All right. Hey, welcome to the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast. For a lot of you, this is your first episode. And in fact, this is the most important episode I think we've done in the last couple episodes. I'm your host, Ben Page, and this is my co-host, Alex. Alex, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty well, Ben. How about yourself? What the heck are we doing on this episode? I mean, we're going to talk about getting some what some folks should be doing if they just got invited out on their first waterfowl hunt, or if you are somebody that has invited someone out and you're hosting someone that's never been out before. Yep. And we're kind of getting back to the roots, roots, however you want to say that, of what this podcast is about. Um, <laughs> we've been talking a lot about of you know, like some probably more 300, 400 level waterfowl stuff. And I've been taking a bunch, a bunch of new hunters out this year. I've probably taken, this is four new hunters I've, I've had out and I've been getting kind of lazy, you know, and not preparing them very well. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, uh, I went out with my wife this weekend and my buddy, he brought his wife out and they, neither of them had really had extensive experience in, in waterfowling or hunting for that matter. And my wife and I were having a, a beverage today and she was telling me about all these questions that she had. So last night, um, preparing about this topic, I asked both of them, I was like, Hey, what did you find about this that was intimidating or everything else? And they just kind of, um, and they really gave some good insight and it made me reflect back on how I've, I've handled it. I'm like, how I, I, assume so much away when I'm going hunting with someone new, you know, like so much stuff that I think is just fundamental to, um, you know, what an outdoorsman does, like what we learn probably as really small kids, just about being outside in general. Uh, and so things are less intimidating to us. Um, and we don't put ourselves in the shoes of some of these new folks yep. often enough. Yep. And if you're listening to this, uh, podcast, it's, uh, it's either because you are a foul front listener or, Somebody has invited you to go on your first waterfowl hunt, and they said, hey, you know what? I'm lazy. <laughs> go listen to this podcast. This will inform you of everything that you need to know, and you're probably thinking, I, I can't believe that there is a podcast that is dedicated to waterfowl hunting, and yes, that's what we're here for. We're here to educate. We're here to recruit new hunters, and we're here to create mindful, mindful hunters. We're not just, you know, not all these hunters are rednecks that don't think about uh, what they're doing. In fact, it's quite the opposite. A lot of hunters are extremely mindful of what they're doing and where their dollars are going and what they're, you know, like their whole process. So I think it's extremely important that we kind of level the bubbles and give you guys a great tool for you to utilize going into your first hunt. Yeah, and I think that this is just as useful for those you know longtime listeners that have been on the podcast before that uh, probably really love the sport and they've had that neighbor that's come up and asked them like, hey, can I come out and go hunt with you sometime? Or I'd be interested in that or maybe some like real passive hints. And uh, 
you know, it's get to that point in the season where you're about to cave in and finally take him because they've asked too many times. And I hope you get some good takeaways from this as well um, to help give them a good experience and create another hunter out there who's going to help build the community up, build the environment out, and, um, you know, ultimately raise some awareness about the sport that we're in. Yep. Elevator pitch here for who we are. Uh, like I said, my name is Ben, and I've been hunting waterfowl since 2012, and I am hellbent on creating and educating and entertaining conservation-minded hunters and cultivating mindfulness in the hunting community. And uh, a lot of people may or may not know, but I'm an Army dude that has been running a waterfowl podcast out of my basement and my own pocket for the last two years and have been, uh, you know, I started off in Texas, New Mexico, hit Oklahoma, and now I'm up here in Kansas. And Alex, go ahead. Yep. So co-host Alex Wallace, I've been waterfowl hunting since 2009. So I've been in the outdoor business for most of my life and I've helped get beginners into many different outdoor sports uh, to include like whitewater kayaking, fly fishing, hiking, backpacking, uh, things of that nature. And I'm really about getting people outside, having a good time, caring about the world that we live in uh, because of the positive experiences, personal growth and the camaraderie that comes out of it. And some of the best memories I think I've, I've ever created with my friends, with my family, have come through shared outdoor experiences. Some of the best lessons learned that I've been able to translate over into my career uh, have also come out of things that I've just been a privilege to be a part of in the outside. And somebody had to get me out there and teach me and be patient. And we're hoping that some tools come out of this for you. Yep. All right. Let's break it down. The first thing that you should be asking yourself or the person that you're going with, licensing. Um, it might not seem that important, but you know, oh, this is my first or my second time that I'm going to be going out. You need to get the proper licensing. You need to be legal so that if you get pulled over by the game warden, you have all of your proper certificates, all of your proper permits. And also it's extremely, we'll talk a little bit about why licensing is important. And it's not something that you can just skip over because you're trying this out for your first time. Yeah, and it's not necessarily um, a super complex process, and it is, it's is—it's really important to have, and it's something that – this is where that local sporting goods store comes in. You know, one of the things, especially if you're new to a state or new to an area, if you go to the local sporting goods store first, make sure that they've got something other than soccer and softball equipment on the shelves. Um, but if you talk to someone on the counter and they sell those licenses um, – you know, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't advise Walmart necessarily. They may or may not have it, but the local places will. Um, they will have some good information on it. And and it, it's important for a lot of reasons. Hunter's Ed is definitely something big. Some of you may have done that before. Uh, ben, when did you do your Hunter's Ed? I did my Hunter's education when I was, I think, 12 years old. And I went through like the formal thing where you go. Uh, after school, you go, I think it's like five nights and a uh, local conservation officer teaches you everything that you need to know. And then you, you take a test at the end. And um, I think it was, um, oh, what was his name? Officer, Officer Brenowitz or something of that nature. But it was extremely like, it was, it, it was good. But not everybody gets to go to an in-person hunter's education course or even has time. You might have gotten invited literally an, like today and you're hunting tomorrow. You don't have time to go complete an hunter's education course before you go out. And that's okay. 
because there's ways around that. Yeah, there are. And I would say, um, you know, like those, there's apprentices, uh, apprentice licenses. Um, and the other thing too is check your states. So different states have different rules on the hunter's ed. You know, some folks, if you're being accompanied, so like if, if I, I've completed it and I'm taking someone new and they've never done it before, the, some states are pretty lenient on that aspect of it. Like, hey, you're an apprenticeship. And they'll even put that on your license when you buy it, like when you buy that first yep. license. Yep. That you're going so yeah, when you're looking, okay, do I need to do a hunter's education or do I not need to do a hunter's education? I think that's the that's the first question that you need to ask yourself. And literally go to the website that you're going to be purchasing your hunting license from and see if they have an apprentice license. An apprentice license will allow you to defer for up to like 365 days uh, to where you don't have to take hunter's, hunter's ed. And you can just hunt with somebody who has hunter's education. But if you don't live in one of those states and it's uh, there is no apprenticeship license, you need to go take a hunter's ed license, uh, a hundred a hunter's ed certification course, and you can do that online. Um, it might take you twenty minutes. It might take you three hours. I I personally always tell people to use the Texas one because it's online and it's a pretty good one um and pay attention to it because there's a lot it's not just something that you have to do to go hunt i think it's something that you should pay attention to yeah i actually just redid my so i did my first hunter's education course i think when i was eight years old and it was in tennessee and it was one of those in-person classes over a weekend and everything else and it was it was great great fun i did it with my dad but um, I needed the course in order to buy a license somewhere, and they had to see my certificate. And I hadn't, um, you know, over the years, I had lost my certificate in the course of several moves. And so I, I did, I, you know, happened to live in the state of Texas. I went to their website, checked it out, and it's a really in-depth course. And I think it was, it, it may have been a couple of bucks, maybe 10 bucks or something to do. But you can, it's self-paced completely, lots of really good um graphics and really good illustrations, photos, videos. They had a lot of educational videos that you can access even after the course. Um, and they cover like how to identify animals, how to do these things. And I thought that that was incredibly helpful uh, just to, as a refresher from somebody that's been hunting in a lot of different places. So I recommend Texas as well. And I think that their, their course is good. I've checked out some other States and they have, you know, pretty thorough, but um, you know, I haven't, I haven't done it here. I, I can recommend it for sure. Yeah. It's going to seem dumb. You're going to think, oh, man, I got to do this. This sucks. Hey, you know what? I'm just I'm not going to hunt because I don't want to do this. But it is absolutely worth it. And we're we're going to break this down to you guys. There's no if, ands, or buts. You're probably not going to walk away from your first hunting experience without spending at least $150 to $200. Yeah, I'd say if you've never if you if you have never touched anything in the outdoors before, uh, but you're really enthused about getting out there, then I'd say that's pretty fair. About a hundred, one hundred fifty bucks, and that's I, I would say that's not assuming a firearm in that. No, um, absolutely gonna, gonna, not assuming a firearm. I'm assume that you could borrow you could borrow something of that nature if you don't have one. Yeah, and we'll I'd say we'll cover that as well. We'll cover how to mitigate some of these costs. Um, yeah. But the thing that you cannot skimp out on is the licensing and the education and uh, the permits and stamps. It's just that's the hard physical 
hurdle that you're going to have to hop over, whether or not it hurts your crotch or not. <laughs> and I think the, so like the state license being the first, you know, so, I mean, you want to talk about kind of the, the tiering of, especially for waterfowl, I think, you know, you're going to start out and you're going to go to your state, you're going to go to your counter, you know, at your sporting goods store and they're going to start off with, Hey, well, what do you want to do? That's almost the first question they've always asked me is like, Hey, what are you doing? Are you hunting? Are you fishing? Uh, we have combinations for that. How long are you going to be here? Three, four, five days. I mean, different states have different tiers of that. Uh, I would say if you're if you're really anxious to give it a shot, but you're unsure about the commitment you want to make, um, just get the. If you're just going hunting, they will often sell just that component cheaper. Now, waterfowl is usually very lucky in this that waterfowl and migratory birds in general, like dove. They fall under the least expensive license category, so you don't have to buy separate tags. Yeah, um, you don't have to. You know, they fall under like hunting in general, small game, migratory bird. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's and that's for the state itself. Um, and then I don't know, does Kansas require a separate waterfowl stand yeah. for you guys? So okay, each state is different. So I think it's first, uh, first and foremost, do not trust. The 15-year-old kid at Walmart selling you your hunting license. You need to know what it takes to be legal um, in order to hunt in the state that you're in. So with a very quick Google search, look up, you know, Kansas waterfowl hunting license requirements or Massachusetts waterfowl hunting requirements and they more than likely it will have a list. It will say you need this, 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 and that to hunt waterfowl. Do not rely on. Um, ju- and the other thing too is, is those those people at Walmart they don't they can sell you whatever they want. Yeah, that's true. you don't have to have a hunter's education for them to sell you a a, a, a state license, a state hunting license. But if you don't have your hunter's ed or your um, waiver for it, you're still screwed. Yeah, the game warden will still ask. And they did. I got checked this year, actually, for hunter's ed. And I talked to the game warden here in Texas. It was during a dove hunt on private land. By the way, if you think that you're going on private land, makes you immune to your licensing requirements. It does not unless you own the land. And even then, you still, especially if it's migratory birds, you're still subjected to federal laws with that and i know ben you did an episode on some of that a while back so check in the archives on the federal laws that go into it but um you you still have to have it and the hunter's ed thing i got checked in the and the game warden was there and he goes yeah i didn't have it i didn't have it attested to um and so he he gave me a warning even though he could have cited me uh, despite the fact that the state of texas allows military to wait they waive their hunter's ed but unless that's written on your license um or you have your ID of sorts, like they they don't. Yep. There's there's very little. Yep. Exactly. So first thing is hunter's ed. Second thing is state licensure. So make sure you have your state hunting license. Um, whether or not you're a resident or a non-resident, you need to check into that. And a non-resident is going to be way more expensive. Um, and then after that, there are you're not off. You're not off clean. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Just so, because you have a hunting license doesn't mean you're good to go. You need to go into your state stamps and certificates. Yeah. So I could tell you about Texas. So we do not have a separate waterfowl stamp in Texas. So that's not something that they sell here separately. Um, but they do go with the, the uh, HIP, 
which is the Harvest Information Program, I believe is what that stands yep. for. Um, so the HIP permit, and all that is, by the way, that's free. So a lot, some of these things are, are free. They don't cost anything. Or maybe a dollar. Yeah, right? or like no three or four dollars, yeah. Yeah, I think in Texas and in Tennessee, um, they were free. And all that is, is when you buy your license and you go to renew it the next year, they're going to ask for some information about um, what you shot, how, uh, what species you shot, how much details. And that's great because it allows the state to manage their game and limits and seasons. Um, so it's it's a good program, but it is required to be annotated on your license. Um, and if you pay the requisite fee or not, they'll put it on there. Uh, but keep that in mind. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, like if you're going to be hunting forestry, uh, like forest land, U.S. forest land, you might have to have a separate forest service certificate. Just make sure that you buy the proper stamps and certifications. Yeah. And then the, I would say the most important one, uh, the most important stamp that does the most for waterfowl conservation is that is the federal waterfowl stamp. Yep. That, that you'll have to Yeah. Get. So the federal waterfowl stamp, and there's a lot of places you can't buy it online. Everything we've talked about um, in all the places that I've hunted, you can buy everything that we just talked about literally on a website. It's all good. Or an app on your phone. Or an app. Yeah. Um, exactly. But the federal waterfowl stamp, you'll have to either buy at a local postal office, Walmart, or there are some states that allow you to purchase it um, on their website. Either way, yeah. either way, you have to have the federal waterfowl stamp. It is absolutely the most important conservation tool that we have as conservationists and mindful hunters. Literally, I think... It's like 94% of your dollar. You're going to spend $27 on this federal waterfowl stamp and 90% of that or 94% of that or something is going straight into conservation. Yeah, and so the waterfowl stamp, I think they came around in the 30s when they were doing a lot of the the migratory um, bird type things where they were trying to get into conservation efforts, and we started to see the outlawing of lead and the punt guns and all that other stuff because the waterfowl populations were being decimated. And, you know, if if people – if you ever hear people talk about um, hunters not doing anything or just exploiting the environment, like just take a look at the waterfowl stamp program and the migratory bird acts that that were funded completely by hunters and excise taxes that – that have really brought back and like made this resource available and, and have conserved a lot. So take a look at the waterfowl stamp program. Here's the other big key. When you get that waterfowl stamp, if you buy it from the post office, which they stock them, like you walk in, you buy it just like any other mail stamp. In fact, it looks just like a bigger version of a mail stamp. You have to sign it. If you, you have to fix it to your license and then sign it with a pen. Well, that goes, um, that, that goes for yours. multiple things too. It's not just your waterfowl stamp. You have to sign all of your licenses. If it says you must sign this before then, um, uh, make your conservation officer's job easier because more than likely you're going to not sign your stamps and you're not going to sign your waterfowl uh, uh, hunting license and everything else. And he's going to walk up to you and he's going to check you and he's going to do all the other things. And we're going to talk about those here briefly. Um, 
and you're not going to have him signed. And he's going to have to tell you either one of two things. He's going to have to make a decision. Either one, he's going to have to give you a ticket, or two, he's going to say, hey, you need to sign this. So just eliminate all benefit of the doubt, everything else, and sign this stuff. Yep, absolutely. And this and this whole process of licensure and getting information, while it may seem like there's a ton of things, and, and there can be depending on the state and the area you're in, um, the internet makes it super easy now. You can go on, you can go online. It'll lay out those things for you. And a lot of times, if you go onto the state's websites where you can buy them, it will have drop down menus and pretty much walk you through what it takes uh, and then put it at the end. So, uh, yeah, definitely do that if you haven't. If you have an out, if you think to yourself, like, yeah, I've got a hunting license, I'm good, but you've never been duck hunting before or you've never been migratory bird hunting or you're hunting for kind of a new quarry double check your licenses then too, because you may not have a, a certain requirement to hunt. Yep. Game. And it's not just good enough to have it sitting in your email inbox. You have to have it printed out. So um, if when all out, you know, when everything fails, just send everything to your mentor or the person that you're hunting with and say, Hey, am I good? And, and ask them. But at the same time, do your own due diligence and just do a little bit of Googling. And I'm sorry, this is going to cost you like $150. That's that's what we deal with. But take solace in. And while we were talking about this, I Googled it up. And the federal waterfowl stamp, 98 cents of every dollar goes into conservation from that. Yeah. Oh, so my bad. That's a huge rate of return. Yeah, 98%. Of not ninety four, <laughs> not ninety four, ninety eight. It's all good. that was. Yeah, but that's uh, a, but that's huge. But yeah, guys, listen, gals, you're thinking to yourself, well, geez, I don't even know if I like duck hunting, and now I'm gonna go. Ahead, I'm gonna spend a hundred and fifty dollars on Hunter's Ed, this stamp, that stamp, this license. Promise you, it's worth it. Like. Just listen to the rest of this conversation. It, it's going to be fine. You're going to have a great time. Um, I think we should move. I think we're past this. I think we're done with the licensing. That's super boring. Let's move on. The next question everybody always asks, guns. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, 
Log on to MidwayUSA.com. Gotta have a gun. Gotta have a gun. And helps. Most people do have a gun or, you know, they're, they're borrowing a gun. And uh, I think it's, it's good to approach it. I'm going to approach it mostly from the fact of I have a gun. And then Alex, I think that you should approach it from, oh, I don't have a gun. I'm borrowing a gun. Sure. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think, I think so, we just break it down okay. by uh, the basic principles of things that you need to know about guns for shooting waterfowl. Yeah, absolutely. So one, it needs to be a shotgun. So, <laughs> I mean, most most cases, yes, <laughs> you're right. It should be a shotgun. I'm making no assumptions about what somebody may or may not know about waterfowl hunting, aka you know, it scatter. It uh, my favorite term, and if if use this, I call it a scatter get. I like that. That's a that's a fun name for me. Scatter get, uh, shotgun. Anyways. A shotgun, uh, it has a single cartridge that shoots a bunch of little tiny BBs at a, a bird. It's a lot easier to hit than, like, per se, a rifle, uh, which is just, you know, single. It's like a poke instead of throwing. It's like throwing one, uh, a whole bucket of rocks instead of just, like, one big rock. All right. We've, prob- so, we, we've probably insulted a bunch of people's intelligence. <laughs> So let's move on. Well, let's talk let's about say, gauges, man. Let's just go straight into gauges. Yeah, so 12, 12 gauge is a pretty standard waterfowl gun, but there is um, a lot of shot shell technologies moving along these days to making the 20 gauge a really effective um, weapon as well. And so if you own one of the two of those already, um, then talk, you know, tell your mentor or whoever's invited you out and be specific with the kind of gun you have. Like if you've got a 12 gauge or a 20 gauge, like let them know, like, yeah, it's got a Magpul stock and an 18-inch barrel, and it stays under my bed. Like, okay, um, maybe we don't use that one tomorrow. Yeah, and if you don't know what that means, say, hey, I have a, I have a, I have a shotgun. Okay. Well, what does that mean? And uh, there's a lot of things that go into owning a shotgun, and you say, okay, they're going to ask you, what gauge is it? And then you're going to either say 12 or you're going to say 20, or if you're like a – if you're a, there's 16s, there's 28s. You might have those. Hell, you might even have a 410. Um, hopefully, you have a 12 or 20 gauge because I think that's the most common common thing. And the next thing they're going to ask you is 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 it a pump? What what kind of what kind of action is it? And yeah. it's and go be ahead. specific. With yeah, it. exactly. No, be specific. Yeah. Well. Walk me through a little bit of the actions here, Alex. Well, so, I mean, the, the, I think, you know, when people think of grandpappy's gun that you maybe inherited or you've had, like a lot of times it's going to be a pump action um, standard gun. And I think that's probably one of the most common, if not the most common, you know, action of a shotgun that is sold. It's also the least expensive and most reliable. And so that's why they're they're out there often and they make great. And I, so you've got to this pumps. day, I do not shoot a semi-auto. I shoot a pump action, and I I have a water. Is it because of the ride? And I have a waterfowl podcast, so take that for whatever that means to you. Yeah, so you're gonna have pumps. You'll have semi-autos are are popular. You'll have uh, one thing to keep in mind with a semi-auto though um, is that there you know 
if that's what you have, bring it. Absolutely. You know, tell, tell, uh, tell your mentor, that's what you have. It'll work great. Uh, pay attention to the size shells that they take, you know, for sure. So you'll see two and three quarter, three inch, three and a half. Um, if you don't know, like if you've got no idea what your shotgun is, tell your mentor that as well. And they'll probably ask to take, like, take a look at it. I know that folks that have, have told me that, like, yeah, I've got my own gun. I'll say, hey, you know, do you, what do you know about it? And they may say pump or semi-auto. You may have a side-by-side or a double barrel, you know, an over-under. Those will work Everything, well. yep. You have a shotgun, it's it's fine to hunt dogs with. Yeah. And uh, But if you if you truly know nothing about it at all, um, tell your mentor that. There is no shame. By the way, there is no shame in asking any questions about these topics, uh, licenses, guns, anything uh, to the person that's taking you. And if you are taking someone... Keep in mind that it's probably taking a lo- it's taken a lot of uh, of courage for some people to admit that maybe they don't know a lot about the gun oh, they have. To oh own yeah, too. and logistically and all things considered, waterfowl hunting is the most complex type of hunting. Right. So, but yeah, those are I'd say those are the big gauges with uh, with pumps being the most common. So that's probably what you have. Yep. Um, so, and I will say this too. So the next thing you're gonna say, hey man, I got a shotgun. Boom. Uh, tell your mentor what it is. Is it a pump? Is it a semi? Is it a 12? Is it a 20? And then they're going to, the next thing you're going to ask probably is, well, what kind of ammo do I need? Yep. Uh, which is a big deal in waterfowl, by the way. Um, you can't just grab the handful of shells that you hunt pheasant with, or you hunt other things with, um, you're going to need non-toxic shot. Um, we won't go too much in on that. Um, so you're going to need some non-toxic shot. It's going to be steel is the most common. Like that's what you're going to find at your, your Walmarts, your academies. You're going to see a lot of steel. Um, don't, you know, you're going to walk into the aisle if you're getting ammo and there's going to be a dizzying array of, of varieties there. You do not need the hypersonic duck laser blaster crushing, Here, you know, with yeah, the silver. Yeah, exactly. On it. And let's break it down like this. Here's what you need to know. Okay. You're going to go pick out a box of ammo. The first thing that you need to know is what gauge. Okay, do you have a 12 gauge or a 20 gauge? Usually that's pretty easy. You should know that. Um, the the second thing is going to be, does your gun take three and a half inch? And does it take two and three quarters inch? And so I would say, like, that's how long the shot shell is, the the bullet, if you were. That's how long the bullet is. And uh, know that. And so if your gun cannot take a three and a half inch bullet or shot shell, then don't buy a three and a half inch shot shell. In fact, you're probably always okay with just buying a three inch or a two and a three quarter. I'd say two and three quarter steel force. If that you just grab one thing off the shelf is your most probably like, well, we're still, we're still probably talking a little bit past them. So, you talk about gauge, it's 12 gauge, and then you talk about the length of your shot shell. You know, it's going to be from three and a half to two and three quarter inches. Then the next thing that you're going to be looking at is you're going to be looking at number. There'll be a hashtag sign or a pound sign, depending how old you are. Um, and it'll say anything from number eight to num- BB or T or number one, two, three, things of that nature. You're going to see that. Um, here's how I describe the shot sizes and that's that number sign. So 
Imagine you have a five-gallon bucket. Okay. Uh, the bottom half of that bucket, there's a primer in the middle. That's, you know, that's, that's what's going to blow up. Um, and then there's a little bit of powder in there. And then there's like a, a wad, which would be like a T-shirt that you lay in there. And then the next thing you need to know is what size of metal are you going to put in there? And so number eight, let's just, let's just say number eight, number eight would be like putting a bunch of gravel in, into that, into that five gallon bucket. And so you're going to shoot that five gallon bucket off and it's going to shoot a bunch of little tiny gravel, right? Um, that gravel is going to obviously go really fast initially, and then it's going to slow down and it's going to be spread out and there's going to have a bunch of, it would just be like throwing a, a bucket of a five gallon bucket of gravel at your sister. Very statistically that you're going to, you know, hit her <laughs> and it's probably not going to hurt that bad because it's your sister um, or at least my sister. It wouldn't hurt. Um, now, if you were to say, OK, we're going to put uh, number two in there. Number two would be like putting baseballs in there instead of gravel. Right. So you have a bunch of baseballs instead of gravel. Um, and so obviously that's obviously going to have a little bit more knockdown power. That's going to hurt my sister if I throw a five gallon bucket of baseballs at her. Right. Um, and then, you know, you know, BB would be like softballs and obviously buckshot. If you were to put that in there would be like, uh, sticking a couple bowling balls in there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, so that's really the large. kind of way to think about it. And, and then there's a huge trade off like, what size of shot do you really need? And your mentor is going to tell you that he's going to tell you either or she, he or she is going to tell you that you need this size of shot or you need this size of uh, whatever it is. But here's how I say it, right? If you're hunting early season teal, which is a, a small type of bird, you can get away with steel number sixes or something smaller, but if you're hunting ducks, you need to be in the number four to number two range. Yeah, especially with – and that's – and so if you go to the store and you see fours uh, or they told you to get twos and you only see fours, um, you know, two and four for ducks is generally going to get the job done, um, you know, if, if they have one or not the other. And that's what I would say, like steel fours, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a four type of person. Uh, and, you, and oh, by the way, you're going to get a different answer on this for just about any duck hunter you talk to. Uh, I don't think I've heard one duck hunter give me a consistent, like, this is what I like to shoot. Generally speaking, they stick between two, four, five, like that, that yeah. area in there. Yeah. Uh, and then also there is you know, it the most important thing about your shot when you're picking it out. It needs to be non-toxic. It needs to be steel or it needs to be tungsten or it needs to be um, bismuth. Uh, you will soon, if you start following duck hunting, you will find out that there's a huge movement for bismuth and, uh, in boss and then in heavy hammer. Uh, these are two different types of shot shell companies. Um, and what you need to know about that is, is that steel is pretty light <laughs> and, um, it's not as heavy as lead. So it has a smaller amount of knockdown power where bismuth is a little heavier. It has way more knockdown yeah. power. So if you want to get into that whole thing, because there's a huge, we could just talk an entire episode about all oh, day yeah, long. Absolutely all day long. <laughs> if you're going to be shooting uh, bismuth, 
Uh, if you want to say, hey, I'm all in it to win it, man, go over to Boss Shot Shells or something like that and uh, get uh, some copper-plated bismuth. Alex, tell us a little little story about bismuth. Oh man, I so I am a I'm a I'm a bismuth believer now, and so my I uh, I was a little bit skeptical. I'm usually not somebody that like jumps on to. I'm not usually somebody that just jumps onto a bandwagon with things, and so I saw the the boss thing was coming out this past year. You know, they really they really getting big, and I was like, ah, I'll give it a try. And I and honestly, the economics of it made sense to me. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this a lot more. So I got some shells. Well, this weekend. I went out and I bought, I, I've got three, five bismuth copper plated duplex shells, which that was another appeal to me is that they had the mixed loads and I mixed uh, load would be like having gravel and baseball two different in this, in, this, in the same right. five gallon bucket. And so, uh, I, I was, I was, you know, I, they were, perfor- I mean, I, I knew that I had less cripples this year. Uh, that was for sure. I had more like stone dead ducks, which I was like, okay, that's not enough to make me a believer. What made me a believer is when I absolutely cold cocked a snow goose at about 50 yards over, over the blind and, and it dropped deader in a hammer. And I was like, yep, I'm, I'm now a, I believe in this knockdown power because I ran out of the ammunition that day and I had to go buy steel for my second day of hunting this past weekend. And it was not as, so you would say bismuth uh, at all. is way better than steel. Absolutely. And yep. I am, I am let a believer. Both me and Alex, uh, you probably noticed a couple advertisements on this podcast introduction. And let me tell you this waterfowl hunting is extremely susceptible to fanboyism or, yeah, there's the, my way or the highway. You have to do this thing or you have to do that thing. That's not true. I kill a lot of ducks with just steel pellets alone. But at the same time, I've shot boss shot shells, and I can I can tell a difference. <laughs> um, yep. But at the same time, I don't I don't need I don't need to shoot boss shells to kill ducks because I shoot them at twenty yards in their face, you know. And shit, <laughs> you could I could I could probably just throw a, a towel at them at that at that range and it'd be fine, you know what I mean. What I'm saying though is, Mother. Um, th- these products do have perceivable instances where it's like, yeah, it's pretty nice. I it's pretty nice shooting bismuth or tungsten at a duck instead of steel. But if you are just getting into it, um, those steel it oh, will work yeah. just because the, whoever's taking you, they're going to put you, they're going to put you in a place, and maybe they'll let you borrow some of their really nice shells. Yeah, exactly, know. exactly. So you don't need to have the top of the line this or that to kill ducks, and I promise you that's the case. But you will find what you like most. And uh, all right, moving on. The next thing about your gun that you need to know: your plug. You can only have three shells in that gun at all times. And so that means you can have one in the chamber ready to shoot. And then in your magazine or your tube, you can only fit two in there. And so you need to have a plug. I can't tell you, this is the thing that I mess up the most with new waterfowl hunters. They come out and I say, oh, hey, you got a plug? And they're like, what the hell's a plug? Yeah. And they can, yeah, they can load plug? eight shotgun shells up into their um, – <laughs> okay. So if you're going hunting tomorrow and you're like, oh, I've never heard of a plug, you need to only – your shotgun, it can 
only be able to have one ready to shoot and then two ready to go. And it doesn't matter if you only put that amount in there. It's maximum capacity should be three shells. And if you have to go, man, I don't have a plug. How do I, how do I make my gun legal? Well, so funny you should ask. The very first time I went waterfowl hunting, I had never really thought about it at all. And my, my buddy checked the gun and it did not have a plug. And so he goes and finds the straightest branch that he can and actually clips a branch. Have you ever seen that oh, before? Yeah. Like they'll, they'll cut a branch. It is that important that your gun can only hold. And the way that the wardens will check that. And so he cut a branch to the right length and he put it in the magazine tube and, uh, right in between the spring and made it to where it would only hold the, the one in the chamber and two in the mag. Uh, and the way game wardens check it is um, they will they can do it a couple of different ways. So someone will actually physically make you load the gun. Uh, others, they have a little, they have like a little plastic tester and they'll just put it in the magazine tube and it has to stop by a certain point and then they'll know that it has a plug in it. And a branch will achieve that thing. So in a pinch, um, if you can't get to the store, the store doesn't have plugs because they, they I won't say they're super common. Like I don't think I've ever seen a shot gun plug at walmart for no. sale um but in my um in my browning bps i have two spent shotgun shells that i shoved in between the spring and the spring stopper um that just sit in my magazine and that's how i do it and here's the thing right let's say you only let's say you're shooting three and a half inch shells that don't matter <laughs> Uh, cause guess what? I can fit in my BPS. I can put one in the mag and then I can put two, three and a half inch shells into my magazine. But guess what? It's not legal unless I can't fit. If I can fit two or excuse me, if I could fit three, three, two and three quarter shells in there, it's no longer legal. So it has to be able to only fit in your magazine, two, two and three quarter inch shells. Yep. And they will, they will check that too. So that's, you know, I, I mean, I would say for the beginner, the two and three quarter, you know, two and three quarter inch shell is safe for all gauges. Uh, and if your plug will keep one in the chamber and two in the mag for two and three quarter, you're yep. safe as well. And if you're thinking to yourself, oh, geez, you guys are being super weird about this and I don't know. Just text right now. Text your mentor and be like, dude, I don't know if I have a plug or not. Just text them right now. See how, yeah, fast, they see how fast they get back. They'll, they'll, they'll hit you up, um, and then you need to figure that out right now. Um, okay, the next thing for your gun. Where are you hunting? Do you need a sling or do you not need a sling? Because it's – oh, man. There have been many times when it's like a sling – on your gun is a make or break because either you're sitting there holding your gun the entire time or you're just holding it and it, it can be super annoying. It can be super annoying. And that's, that's definitely, you know, so if you, if you haven't, you know, your mentor has probably told you, or you probably picked up some context clues from being around them a time or two, like what kind of hunting they do. Do you walk in, uh, are you going to walk in and stand or are you going to, um, are you going to be in a boat? You know, so I can tell you that my duck gun, I, I keep it. I don't keep a sling on it most of the time because I'm either hunting in a fixed blind where I can set it, you know, on something or it's in my boat. Same thing. 
uh, and I'm not walking too awfully far. And that's just the style of hunting I'm doing down here. But others, like I know Ben, you walk in quite often, right? And that's probably a deal breaker to be able to walk in and have your gun over your shoulder and um, everything. I frequently hunt out of a kayak and a boat, and then I'll take my my sling off, and then the next thing I know, I'm standing in some some what I would call Kansas timber, and I want to hang my shotgun somewhere, but instead I'm ending up holding it the entire time, and it's super annoying. All right, so if just figure out the situation and ask him, Hey man, do I need to sling or am I going to be like resting my gun somewhere? What do I need to do? Ask him. All right. Next thing, transportation of your gun. If you do not have a gun bag, you need to either get one or ask them like, Hey man, do I need a gun bag? Because it, you do not want your gun to be like sitting in the bottom of a muddy boat or sitting on a metal boat and just getting scratched up the entire time. Ask them, hey, are we carrying our guns in or are the guns going to be like laying in the boat? What do I need to do? And if you if it's one of those latter things and you don't have a gun bag and your mentor does not have a gun bag, hell man, just Take a long sleeve T-shirt and wrap that thing up because it'll be worth it. Yeah, or go down to I, you know I actually just bought a couple of them at Academy for I think ten bucks, ten bucks a piece for a, you know a, a zipper gun bag. It doesn't have to be waterproof, nope. um, although it, it can help, but it doesn't have to be. And, and I think that's just a good rule to have, like for any form of your gun transportation, put it in something. I'd say the least expensive thing you can get away with is um, you can get those silicon, those socks, those oh, cotton yeah. socks. I I've put them. You know, I've carried a gun in just those before. If I'm, if I'm, if I don't need necessarily a full-on gun bag, but yeah, it's some some mode of transportation that will protect your firearm is pretty correct. Exactly, exactly. All right, I think that covers the gun piece, which is a huge. I think that's the only thing that people think about. Like they say, "Oh yeah, like what kind of gun do I need?" And then boom, okay, we've covered all that. Dude, here's the most important conversation piece that nobody talks about. Dude, you're going to be cold. <laughs> Close. You are going to be super cold when you go hunting. How do we mitigate this, yeah, Alex? Unless you prepare. How do we mitigate it? Well, unless unless you prepare for it. I mean, you're going to be cold if you uh, if you don't prepare a little bit. So, um, you know, I would say you know, for one thing, ask once again, the type of hunting you're going to go do, you know, like, are you going to walk in? Are you going to be in the water? Uh, are you going to be on a bank? Are you going to be in a blind? Uh, and this might be, you know, if, for those of you that are taking somebody new, um, tell them these things like, Hey, we're going to go hunt this way. Um, here's the conditions that we're expecting you to be in. Do you have these pieces of equipment? Um, you know, what would you, like? what's the most important cold weather gear you've got? I would say it would be thermal socks. Oh yeah, wool socks. I've got some uh, merino wool socks that uh, fill up my waiter boots quite nicely, and they are nice yep. to have. Uh, that's the other thing too. So, I think when it comes to being warm and duck hunting, 
probably the most expensive piece of equipment, um, excluding the the gun, is gonna be waiters. Yeah, and if you were, if this is the first time you've gone out, I know that everybody that I um, have gone hunting with before. Um, and they were taking somebody new, they often had a pair of backup waders, uh, and they may not fit the best. Uh, they may not have fit me, you know, as long as the shoe, the boot wasn't too small, which is a, is a, is can be a yeah, problem absolutely. sometimes, but, um, I borrow them, you know, I would borrow them. Um, but yeah, if you're just getting them, that will be an investment later on. And I think that God, we could probably do a whole episode on yeah, that waders <laughs> is a very big purchase because, they can cost $200, which is a huge barrier to entrance to waterfowl hunting because in most cases you need them. Yeah. If anything to keep you warm, yeah. like just to just, I mean, from even if you, I mean, I know plenty of people that hunt out of a boat, they'll never get in the water during their waterfowl hunt, but they wear waders cause they keep yeah. them warm. Um, but I would say that, yeah, the waders are huge. Um, and then I, I, I the, you said thermal socks. I was thinking like, I've got some thermal just underwear, you know, like long underwear and a long, you know, and oh, by the way, color doesn't matter on those. So um, you'll see like the fancy camo, merino, wool, whatever. Like if, if you've got a pair, I'd say stay away from cotton. Um, Reduce it, all um, cotton big- out of your entire, yeah, no cotton. I would say. Yeah, I would stay away from cotton. Um, be only because it doesn't work as well yeah, when it's wet. Exactly. But long long underwear is is a is a critical item for me, um, and it's it's good on that layering and it, it does yep. a lot to keep you warm. So if if you can't if your mentor hasn't already told you and said, hey, you don't need waiters, or hey, I have a pair of waiters for you, just know this too. The waiters that your mentor is probably giving you are probably not the best waiters. So reduce the amount of time that you're going to be. And if if your mentor isn't already taking care of you in this, they're probably a bad mentor. But I I have, you know, four or five pairs of waiters. And when when I'm taking a bunch of people out like I did this weekend, it's, hey, you stay out of the water as much as necessary. Like just, (laughs) Nope, you're not coming out here. Sorry. Those are boat waders or those are like, we're walking through mud waders. That's it. You stay away. Yeah. I've, I've got a few pairs as well. And, you know, so I've got fishing waders and I've, I've definitely taken new people out and they're, and I'm like, Hey, you can use these waders, but they're, they're not boot foot, they're stocking foot and they have separate boots. Not the most ideal thing for trudging through the mud. No. Um, and so I've told, I, I've had that very same speech. So if, by the way, if you're the one that's hosting uh, and you're taking this, this first timer out, think about those backup waders and where maybe those leaks are and try to, you know, think, uh, keep in mind the comfort of your new, 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 new uh, hunting yeah. buddy there. And now if you have the budget to go buy some waders for this adventure that you're about to just dabble in, um, there's, there's really two options. There's neoprene or there's breathable. Now I'm a big fan of breathable. Now I'm an even bigger fan of insulated breathable, 
Um, but at the same time, um, the farther north you are, if you're north of Nebraska, Kansas line, neoprene should probably be where you're headed. But if you're going to be doing a lot of walk-in and, you know, you're going to be doing some, like, sweating to get out there, choose the breathables. I, uh, yeah, so if you want to, if you just, or if, like, your mentor doesn't have your size, a really inexpensive entry into it would be uh, ask your mentor if just some hip waders would work. So um, a lot of sporting goods stores will sell boot foot hip waders for under 50 bucks that will get you generally through the mud. Uh, that's actually what my wife wears because, you know, I'm the one that if I have to get up like into chest deep water, like that's, that's where you're, yeah, you're I, gonna I'm go. going to go out and trudge. Um, but those will definitely get the job done uh, for a very minimal investment. Uh, I happen to be a breathable waiter fan as well. And that's mostly because like we were duck hunting yesterday and it was 75 degrees out in the blind. So it was beautiful. Um, but uh, you know, neoprenes don't work for down here, but I do have the insulated kind. Mine, I've got the frog togs that have the liner that comes out of them. So if that's a, uh, I would say breathables give you the most flexibility, but they don't work in, they don't work as well without some really significant layering and extreme colds. And then the, the last thing I'll say about this, listen, it doesn't matter how many cotton socks or polypropylene socks you put on. If you don't have a set of wool socks that go in those waders, your feet are going to be cold. And even if you have them, your feet are still going to be cold. It's just unmitigatable almost. And so you need to do twice the amount of preparation or buying that you think to keep your feet cold. Yep. I, uh, so here's a, here's a tip for you. Sorry. Yeah. Here's a, here's a tip. If you haven't heard this before and my, I learned this from my grandfather. I used to salmon fish in upstate New York in the dead of winter. He wore, uh, he wore pantyhose. Um, yeah, like as a underlayer, he would wear pantyhose under and then layer them with uh, thicker socks because it's just, it's another, it's another layer. And it also will help reduce blisters, by the way, if you're doing a lot of walking. Uh, so either a thin pair of dress socks. So if you have like a thin pair of uh, black dress socks, on first followed by some thicker socks or just your wools on top of it um isn't will will help a lot and i've tried that out firsthand um you know i'll let you guys decide whether it was the dress socks or the pantyhose um and and it does it does work Uh, so yeah um, that's that's a great point and then another thing that i will say ask your mentor hey are we walking in Like, is there going to be some significant effort that goes towards getting to the spot that we're going to be at? And what I always say is freeze in so you can be warm while you're there. (laughs) And so when I say that, when I leave my truck and we start hiking everything in, I have my waders on and I have, you know, obviously I have everything that I'm going to have on for the entirety of the hunt that are underneath my waders. Because you can't really like get it to a dry place to put more clothes on underneath of your waders. But I'll wear a t-shirt in five degree weather while we're walking out to a, a spot. Because the the least amount of sweating that I can do while we're walking out there will allow me to be warmer 
while I put my clothes on when we actually get done setting up. So I'll be shivering and freezing that entire walk out there instead of burning up and creating a bunch of sweat that's going to soak all the rest of my clothes while we're out there, which will ultimately make me colder in the long run. So what I do is, is I take a trash bag and I throw my big jacket in there and a couple under layers for my top. Um, so that's, that's at least what I do. Yeah, that's a, well, yeah, I, I haven't really thought about that, but it does make a lot of sense. Um, and, and yeah, cause there's nothing really worse than being like clammy and cold. Um, you know, sitting in a, in a blind. Yeah. So that's a pretty good segue to in the outer layers. Yeah. So we are, I feel like we beat up yeah, the layers so. with the pantyhose. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of outer layers? Would it's you, gotta uh, be waterproof. Kind of, you, you're, you're in a water environment. So if you don't, if your outer layer can't take a little bit of rain, a little bit of snow, a little bit of splashing from walking or a little bit of mud, you don't need to have it. Yeah, I'd say, uh, and this could also be a borrowable item. Yeah, you know, so if you're, you know, if it's if it's one of those, like, you know, no, I'm probably not going to let you borrow my pantyhose, but I may let you borrow my I outer layer. Anybody wants to borrow your um, pantyhose, just, just <laughs> but you could definitely borrow a jacket, and and most most people that are taking new waterfowlers out, I mean, I don't know, Ben, I've got like three different oh, jackets, yeah. uh, jacket options at a minimum at my disposal. Uh, so to let someone borrow that outer layer to be comfortable is usually not a stretch. Um, if you, if you've, you know, if you need one like that, at the very least, I'd say it has to be camouflaged. So, uh, camouflaged and waterproof critical. Yep. For absolutely. Unless you're going to be like sitting in a blind that you're completely covered in. Yeah, it needs to be camouflaged and waterproof for your outer layer. I think this is a good segue into gloves because the same gloves that I use on the walk-in, which are waterproof, and then I'm using to put out decoys, are not gloves that I can shoot in. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm the same way. I have. I have my my work gloves if you will the decoy gloves that are elbow yeah you know for most beginners i would probably just concern yourself with like shooting gloves but if um you know like i have two pairs like i have the decoy gloves and personally i don't i don't like to wear them yeah i i I rarely wear gloves i usually just keep my hands in my pocket or in inside my coat to warm up that sort of thing yeah um grab a couple of those hot hands uh, those are really helpful, like just to put in your pocket, uh, to put in one in each pocket. If you don't have, like, if you don't have gloves, um, you know, I'd say it's not necessarily a deal breaker if you can keep your hands warm. Um, now if you're, if you're taking somebody by the way, and you're kind of expecting this newcomer to help you set the spread, um, then you may ask and then if you have a second, you know, keep in mind that may not be something people have, you know, so have a pair that may be able to help. And stay here is you're going to be super cold. <laughs> this is like the coldest sport of hunting because there's water, there's wind. I mean, cold temperatures, you're just going to be cold. So anything that you can do to mitigate that is what you need to do. 
And I think that consists yeah. of good base layers that are not cotton, followed by a good outer layer. Yep. I uh, I agree with that. And, you know, the, the good base layers, the good outer layers that are waterproof. And if the conditions are going to get you wet, you know, making sure that you, um, you know, between a good outer layer and your waders or whatever waiter variety you have, it will generally keep you comfortable. And, yeah, it's going to be cold, um, but you can be comfortably uh, in the cold environment if you do a little bit of prep for it. And then as a mentor, keep that in mind um, that whoever you're taking, this is different than deer stand sitting. This is different than this is a different kind of activity for it. So keep that, uh, keep that in mind and prep your, your newcomer with some of this information. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's talk about a little about expectations. Whew, man, there, you know, I have, I've heard before that happiness is the gap between happiness is the smallest gap between expectation and reality. Um, and so in order to keep people, you know, happy in this, manage those expectations and, um, and, and kind of inform them what reality is. And so, um, oh man, I've got to, all right. Yeah. Here's so what I'll say about, about this. this. <laughs> I can go out tomorrow by myself and go super hard because I know my limitations and I know where I can get to and I know the amount of stuff that I can suffer and the places that I'm willing to go safely by myself. And probably seven times out of 10, I can shoot a limit all by myself doing that stuff. If I take somebody else out, we're probably only shooting two to three birds a person because I don't know your limitations. I'm also thinking about a lot more about comfort and that, that sort of aspect of the hunt. So you need to go into this hunt thinking I want to shoot one or two ducks. Yeah. And if you're, um, you know, if you're taking somebody for the first time and you're going the first time, first off, if you're the one that's been invited, be honest about your experiences. Um, this is not the place for, you know, tons of bravado. And um, this is, this is, Hey, yeah, I've never done this before, or I've done it and it's been like this, you know, or I've hunted out of a boat. Um, and, you know, it's not all the same. And if you're the one that's, it's, you know, and if you're the one taking this newcomer, keep in mind, you may have to pry a little bit about that out of them. Like if they've said they've been duck hunting before, ask them where it was and what kind and the kind of shape off of that and find those differences because this is going to help you both have a better right. time with this right. um, for sure. Um, and then as far as expectations go, you need to ask your mentor, are we hunting out of layouts? Are we having to have an A-frame? Are we going to be standing the whole time? Because those are three extremely different types of hunt. And they bring along with them different expectations of how to keep warm and what you need to wear. So ask them, hey, are we hunting out of layouts? And a layout would be something that you're laying down on the ground in this kind of coffin-like thing that you're going to pop up and shoot out of. An A-frame would be something that you're sitting in 
and your your front and back are covered, but you're going to have a bunch of brush in your face. And then standing, obviously, you're going to just be standing in the trees and hiding so that your personal camouflage needs to be a little bit better. Yeah, and then if you're and if you're the one taking this new person out, and depending on your circumstance, um, you know, prep your. Keep in mind that like I like to keep things really simple. You know, if this is somebody that's been out there, like what's the most simple form of waterfowl hunting that I can do? Uh, so, like for me, and and you know, I'm about if I could take someone out in my boat to a prepped blind, you know, or to a shore blind somewhere, and set up in there where we're going to be comfortable and stable and safe. That's very simple. It may not be in the place that I know I can go shoot some limits that day or have a lot, you know, like a lot of activity. Um, You know, for you that are hosting, today is not the day to bushwhack back to the new spot um, that you've never been to before and and, and try uh, to, to just go the extra mile because you have a hand that day. And I've seen that before. You know, hey, I've got I've got a buddy that's going with me. They can help carry a bunch of stuff. Uh, or we're going to go back and try this yeah. new thing. And it kind of makes me wince a yeah. little bit. <laughs> the other thing, too, is when you get there, here's what you need to know. You're going to show up to the property, whatever it is. You're the new guy. The The mentor is probably going to be handling the decoys and is going to ask you to either brush in the blind or get some sort of ancillary thing done. And that's okay. When it comes to brushing in the blinds, you're never done. <laughs> Until yep. it's right You think, <laughs> oh, hey, that looks pretty good. I put some grass on this blind. It's good to go. Nope. Do about 10 times more than what you think is probably necessary. And you're going to be okay. Well, and, you know, and, you know, and I... I went like the the folks that I went hunting with this past weekend. I was I was all about getting the decoys, helping him carry the brush, uh, and he actually mentioned, you know, we never really, I never really take people that want to be involved with it. You know, be involved in the hunt. That your host is being is doing a lot of work. You know, that person, your mentor, is doing a lot of work just in the preparation. You know, lending a hand, like helping uh, pick up decoys at the end or brushing the blind, that kind of stuff is uh, is going to make both of your experiences better uh, in the long run. And it's going to definitely communicate to your mentor that you're, you know, part of the team because waterfowl hunting in a lot of senses, Teamwork, like man. you do it solo, it, it's all, it can be a team yep. sport. And if you're thinking about what do I need to bring? Well, you probably don't need to bring a lot, but if you can bring like a little knife or a little brush saw, dude, you're going to make you're going to make your weight in gold known. If you're going out there and you're cutting down 10 times the amount of brush that everybody else is, and you're bringing back huge armfuls of brush for people to blind the brush in, dude, that's, that's how you make, that's how you get a second invite. Yeah. You'll get, you'll you'll get, you'll get to come back. Um, if you're the, if you're the person that's taking them out, you know, teach them some of those things along the way. Um, actually got a, a pretty good debrief from my wife today that I don't teach enough, you know, with new people out. Like I, I make too many assumptions about the things that they know or, or don't know. Um, uh, you know, so if you're, if you see the guy standing there and he brought his clippers and he's, you know, go over there and show him like, Hey, I want to go cut this type of brush and do this type of thing. This is what we're looking for. And, and really, um, 
Yeah. And oh, by the way, like if you don't know exactly what you're doing, ask the question, say, Hey, what kind of brush do you want? Where do I cut it right here? Sweet clip. Yep. And then go to work. And more than likely that's going to be your job. If this is your first waterfowl hunt, you're going to be cutting brush, stuffing it in the blinds and that's okay. That's it. It's really an, the most important job. I, in fact, I'd probably be a lot better off if I let the new people just throw the decoys out and brushed in the blind myself, <laughs> but keep going. Just go as hard as, as harder than you think you need to when brushing in the blind. Yeah. Well, and then if you're the host as well, the, the kind of, you know, as you start talking about getting out there, bring, bring some extra stuff, you know, bring, bring an extra set of clippers, bring some extra shells, um, bring, bring a little bit, uh, extra out there. Um, I, you know, I wrote down toilet paper. That's a thing. Bring some of that along, you know, yeah. bring some extra of that. The old um, crap tickets. <laughs> get, get a few of those. Uh, and keep them around and, and that'll help make everybody's experience better because as, as somebody that's taken out that you really want them to remember the positive experience of it, uh, and those little deals, like bring some extra hand warmers, you know, we mentioned that. So like maybe they forgot their gloves. Well, two of those hot hands in your pockets will definitely get you by, um, if, if need be. Yeah. So, all right, here's the last thing I want to get into, uh, with the new hunters, everything's set. The decoys are out, the blinds are brushed, and you're waiting. Okay. There's going to be one or two things that happen. You're either going to have some action coming in on you on first light where, okay, you're waiting for legal shooting time, which is a half an hour before sunrise, and you're like, it's really dark. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even identify what kind of birds these are. Um so there's going to be some action. And then the first time that you pop out of that blind and shoot, shoot one duck, just pick one duck to shoot at. Don't try to hit two ducks. Don't just shoot at that mass of birds that are coming in. Just pick one duck. Well, and you know, I think I'm going to roll that into, I call it, I call it the speech. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that, you know, like there's always the speech about you're taking someone out new, you know, you're kind of in that lull period now. Maybe you did this like the boat ramp or whatever. Um, but I like to, in just about any new endeavor, I like to one, assure them that it's, Hey, this is a good time, uh, to give them some confidence. And then here's the other thing too. Lay out, especially with waterfowl hunting, tell them about how this is going to go. Um, who's calling yeah, the shot? Yep. You know, I, I like, like, hey, this is what's going to happen, guys. We're here. We are. We're waiting. You see the decoys. Uh, and I say this because the, the first time I went, I did not get the speech. And I saw a duck that flew what I thought was close enough. And here I am. I became a sky blaster that morning because <laughs> I had no idea um, what I did. So. You know, if you're the one telling them out there, talk about they're going to come in this way. This is your shooting lane. This is where, like, this is where you need to be. Cover some blind safety, some shooting safety uh, that's just different about waterfowl, and talk about, um, you know, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call the shot when I say kill them or cut them or whatever it is you say. 
that's when you're going to get up and pick that one duck out. And shoot. and then another thing too is before it's shooting time, ask your mentor, hey, can we do a couple practice rounds? Because popping out of a layout blind can be pretty difficult. Um, you might not, the doors might not pop open or if you're popping out of an A-frame, you know, do a couple practice rounds. And then always, 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 when you done, like when you shoot, you pull the trigger, bam, bam, and the ducks, put your gun on safe and then verbalize it and say, safe, I'm on safe when you're done shooting. Yep. But it's, uh, you know, some of that, the blind, um, there were some times this, there was, there were some times, um, and if you're hosting, by the way, build into your scheme, um, what that's going to be like. So I, you know, there's probably different, I like to, I like to have beginners on, on ends, by the way, like at the end of a blind, because they have the widest field of view, then they're probably going to have the best opportunity at something that's coming in there too. Um, but if you, let's say for whatever reason you want them between, like maybe they're younger and you want them between two adults. If you're standing up, I can't count how many times this weekend I just stayed sitting and I did not stand up to shoot. Um, because that there were, I was sitting like right next to somebody I hadn't done it before and they sit up and I just, and I, st- I stay down and let them have that opportunity at shooting, even though it might've missed for me. Um, because that was kind of that built in where I knew the birds were coming in from the left-hand side. Um, and I, I was like, oh, everyone's going to be shooting there. We've got two brand new shooters. Maybe I don't stand up today. Or I'm going to back clean up as the right. experienced person yeah. if there's anything left. Um, so keep that in mind. You know, Work that through your mental model if you're, yep. if you're the one. And as up. soon as everybody's done shooting, just put it on safe and say, hey, I'm safe. Yep. This is, you know, and just keep in mind, like, this is not about your hunt that day. You know, like this is these types of things. It's not about, you know, this is about them having a good time. And this is the kind of stuff that makes them or it helps them. have Exactly. And then bring snacks. Bring snacks. What's that? Oh, yeah. Snacks. Absolutely. If you want to win a million friends, uh, bring breakfast burritos. Just, I mean, if you show up with a bag of breakfast burritos. Yeah, you're getting invited to the next hunt. Yeah. I mean, if it starts to stretch your budget after two or three hunts, then maybe, you know, hopefully you've built up a good enough rapport. But, yeah. All right. I think we've hit it. Like, I think that's everything someone might ought to know on their first duck hunt. Yeah. I I think that this is a – be a good hour investment um, to, you know, but if you're hosting or you're not, you know, if you're bringing, if you're tagging along or going on your first or uh, bringing someone, I, yeah, I can't think of any, any other it's, aspects it's, to hit. It's going to be boring, but exciting. It's going to be intense and it's going to be kind of dull. You're going to wake up super early, have some coffee just get over it, go home, take a nap. You're going to love it. Yep. And I love, I love taking new people and getting new folks into the sport. Um, 
And I, I also love going to new places and being that beginner all over again. So even if you've done this one time, every time you go somewhere new, you're going to be kind of a beginner of sorts. Um, and this is one of the best parts about the, the sport, in my opinion, and, and then sharing and sharing this type of stuff, teaching that, teaching this uh, in the outdoors. Absolutely. So. so, hey, this is Ben. I'm your host of the Foul Front Waterfall Podcast. And Alex... What do you want to leave everybody with? Um, I would just say invite someone hunting, get someone new into the sport, help them have a positive experience. It's about their positive experience. Engage with the people that seem interested. Um, and some of my best friends and memories have come out of sharing these outdoor experiences. And duck blinds being the social environment that they are, are one of the very best areas to foster some of that stuff. So, All right. Sounds good. We will catch you guys on Thursday or Friday morning with our migration report. It's going to be great. Catch us then. And I hope that this was helpful and that everybody has a safe and happy hunt. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast Group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content and if you get in on that facebook group you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like and we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners so all right stay safe out there and we will see you next week Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.